to the, to the grain that had already been, been gathered, not just the leftovers. So as we enter chapter 3, we're waiting on this provision to crescendo. We're waiting on their relationship to build, to move toward marriage, because we know that will kind of resolve things. That would fix everything in their situation. But before that happens, something else needs to happen. Boaz needs to be made aware that he's the one, that he is a kinsman redeemer. He's the closest unmarried relative of Ruth's dead husband who could resolve the plight of these two widows. So Naomi, in all of chapter 2, she was kind of on the sidelines. She was watching the kindness of Boaz unfold. And now entering chapter 3, Naomi thinks that she's seen enough of Boaz's character, and she's going to tell Ruth to do something. She's going to tell Ruth it's time to make a move here. So as you listen to this reading, put yourself in the shoes of Ruth and put yourself in the shoes of Boaz. It's a really interesting scene, so try to imagine it in your head, picture it in your mind. Naomi is sending Ruth on a mission that would seem just scandalous to the nth degree if anybody saw what she was doing. And we'll talk more about why, and you should see it as you hear it. But in an act of faithfulness to Naomi and to her dead husband, Ruth is about to make herself as vulnerable as any woman ever could. So let's see how it unfolds. A reading from Ruth 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. And then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you're wearing and, and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. 
Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The word of the Lord. So I hope you recognize the potential for scandal here. Naomi takes this huge risk by sending Ruth like this, but it seems that, she, you know, like I said, she's seen enough virtue from Boaz to hope that he'd respond in sort of a righteous way. So let's talk through the scene for a minute. Ruth shows up in the dark of night in a barn that would have been isolated on its own outside of town, right by the fields, and Boaz would have been spending the night there to protect his harvest. Ruth has washed and anointed herself. That's likely a signal that her time of mourning for her dead husband was over. You know, she's no longer dressed as a widow who's mourning, mourning her husband, been recently widowed. She's available now. And she waits until Boaz was done eating and drinking, and his heart was merry, and he lies down to sleep at the end of a heap of grain. Then she makes her move. All right? She came softly and uncovered his feet. And the story seems to be heating up a little at that moment. And if, if you're an Israelite and you're hearing this story for the first time, you're probably fully expecting this Moabite woman to be up to no good, to do something really scandalous here. And maybe for good reason, too, because the Moabites had sort of a storied reputation, you might say. When Kenneth preached on Ruth 1 a couple weeks ago, he mentioned something. He referenced an older story. Uh, of how the Moabite people came to be, who they descended from. And he didn't go into detail on it, but it's in Genesis 19, and that's where we learn about their origin. And the scene is not too dissimilar from this scene we're reading about on the threshing floor. So I want to I do a little flashback here to give a little bit of contact, context in Genesis 19, because it involves a, a woman, a couple women, who come to a man in the dark after he's eaten and drank. So, Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, if that rings a bell, those two cities God just destroyed, raining down fire on them. It's the, it's the end of the world type of scene. That's how it would have felt to them. Lot and his family had been spared. Lot and his two daughters, well, his wife and two daughters, but what happened as they were leaving, his wife turned back around to look as she was commanded not to. She turned into a pillar of salt so it's just Lot and his two daughters left. And here's what it says. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Now at this point, with the destruction that they're witnessing, they would have they were thinking, like, this is the end of the world. Like, we, we need to keep the human race going, kind of a thing. So they have an idea, and they say, Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that, so that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. 
So in the eyes of the Israelites, the Moabites are this group of unclean, incestuous, conniving traitors. So as we're reading Ruth here, we're seeing a lot of unexpected things. We have this Moabite woman in a dark, dark time of the judges, you know, when everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, and she's slipping into a, a barn at night, at midnight, with this virtuous Israelite. But so far, all we've seen from Ruth is just shocking faithfulness. So she's almost like an anti-Moabite sort of thing. The big risk that she's taking is what's going to happen when Boaz wakes up to see her lying at his feet? You know, Naomi is hopeful of what will happen. She, she, she has an idea, but, but Ruth is really risking everything. He could have any one of a different responses to this. He could take advantage of her. He could think that she's coming to seduce him and therefore just kind of cast her back out on the streets and that would be the end of the story. Or he could recognize her action as a humble gesture of loving loyalty and, and hear what she has to say. And we see that last option play out. He's startled from his sleep, and that word startled also means kind of shivered, and maybe that's from his feet being uncovered. Still dark, it's, it's dark enough where they can't recognize each other, and he says, who are you? And when she answers, she gets straight to the point. She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, that is nothing less than a proposal for marriage. To spread your wings over someone wasn't just a clever way for Ruth to ask for protection, but in, the con in this context, it was the common expression for marriage, for taking somebody in marriage, especially since Ruth is also naming him as the Redeemer. He knows exactly what she's saying. You know, I, I need you to marry me. That's what, basically what she's saying. Now, we'll read this, and we want to romanticize it, we want to romanticize this moment, but that would probably be wrong to do here. You know, this woman is in a struggle for her life. This is not like a, a lovey-dovey love story. Yeah, maybe it gets there, but we, we don't really see it. Um, but she has no other options. So we should probably just see a woman who's desperate, and she's humbly pleading for her life and survival and that of her mother-in-law. You know, um, romance is not necessarily in this scene, but... Boaz seems to recognize Ruth's kind intentions here, and in, in, in even that it's this selfless act of, of a servant, because her ultimate aim is not just for herself, for her own protection, but for her mother-in-law, and for the line of her dead husband, so she's acting for others. So he responds to Ruth's faithfulness by becoming her servant. Here's what he says. He says, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. And there it is. That's the moment we've been waiting for. He's willing to marry Ruth now. You know, this is like, yes, they're, they're almost there. So, but what we see is this faithfulness begetting faithfulness. One person's faithfulness witnessed and another person responding in kind. And it's building one on the other like a snowball of faithful acts. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing. And it's really beautiful the way it plays out. But we immediately find out there's this hang up. Boaz is aware that there's another eligible kinsman redeemer who's an even closer relative of Ruth's husband, and it seems that Boaz is going to sort out the matter. He says, if the other guy's willing to redeem you, then so be it, but if he's not willing, as Yahweh lives, I will redeem you. Now, the final scene where it sort of leaves us is 
So beautiful. The imagery here is great. It's one, one of the best uses of imagery in Scripture, in my opinion. And it's also really easy to miss. Now, I ask you all to imagine how these stories play out. See them in your head. Because very often, Hebrew writers will communicate something visually. We're supposed to be imagining this. So um, there's some foreshadowing happening here, visually, if you picture this. Boaz says he doesn't want to send Ruth away empty-handed, but he tells her to hold out her garment, all right? And he fills it with six measures of barley. This seems to be some kind of a pledge for his good word that, that he's, gonna, he's making a promise. But what we see is Ruth walking away, literally bearing the seed of Boaz. And even with the sort of a profile of a pregnant woman, a woman with child. And it's really beautiful. So we see that and we think, ah, there's something happening here. And some of you probably know where the story goes. So Ruth goes back to Naomi, reports what happened, and Naomi hears what she's hoping for. Naomi is now 100% sure that Boaz is going to make good on his word. She says, now wait, my daughter. He's not going to rest until he settles the matter. Now she knows. So what we've been seeing in this entire story is faithfulness beginning faithfulness, back and forth, increasing in loyalty and generosity until they're ready to pledge their entire lives to each other. So remember, one of the questions I asked last time was how do we see these characters point us to Jesus? That's always a good question to ask in the Old Testament. The entire Old Testament points forward to Jesus. And this is something that we can think about and meditate on our entire lives in any Old Testament reading, and I encourage you to. And there's a lot happening here that we can point to. I'm only going to point to a few, and I would encourage you all to just kind of ponder on it in this whole book of Ruth. You know, how, is, how are these people, how are these events pointing us to Jesus? But so what do you think? What do you think in this chapter? How do we see Jesus? I'm going to offer a couple. So for one, we can see Jesus as the better Ruth. While Ruth leaves her family, leaves her homeland, risks her life for the sake of her loved ones, Jesus leaves his father to lay down his life as a servant for those that he loves. We can actually see Jesus as the promised seed that Boaz gave to Ruth as a down payment that she carried away, you know? Jesus' life, death, resurrection are a down payment of a future birth, of a new birth of our resurrected bodies one day. That's going to happen. That's, that's our hope, that we'll be fully restored because we've seen it happen. We saw it happen in Jesus. That was the down payment. So he's the seed that makes the promise for us. And finally, I'll offer this last one. We can see Jesus as the better Boaz who receives Ruth in her darkest hour. You know, we come to Jesus in our moment of greatest need when we recognize we're dead without him. But he doesn't respond like Boaz. He doesn't say, you know, hey, I've seen your faithfulness, and I'm going to sort this out. Give me, give me till tomorrow. But he says to us, I've seen you at your worst. I've seen you in your utter faithlessness. And today, I make you mine. And when we see the faithfulness of Jesus in these moments, in these stories, our hearts ache to serve him. Faithfulness begets faithfulness. 
And the Spirit does something in our hearts that's really a mystery, but our, our knees bow to him. He transforms our lives, and we become his redeemed bride. So when you come to the table in just a few minutes, no matter what burdens you're carrying, no matter how faithless you think you've been, you have the freedom to lay it all down. I encourage you to do so. Jesus wants you at his table. You are his redeemed bride. He's already redeemed you. You are fully known. He knows you, everything about you, and you're fully loved. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this good, good news, Lord, that you redeem us, that you love us, that you come after us, that you lay down your life for us, Lord. Give us a heart to respond to you in faithfulness, Lord. Transform our lives, Lord. And we lift up our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.